0: everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, and it is time for another edition of the Needle Drop podcast. And in this episode of the show, we have lined up for you a series of reviews. Of course, I'm going to be talking about the latest records from Zarface and Ghostface Killa. A new collaborative hip-hop album from them is out and about. So some hardcore hip-hop madness is coming straight off of that. Also, I'm going to be talking about the new Jessica Pratt record as well as a bit of a throwback review for the Drake reissue of his So Far Gone mixtape, which dropped 10 years ago. So uh, getting a little retrospective on that one. Also, some track reviews of the latest records from Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib because they have a new album on the way, Flat Tummy T is the name of the new single, and also Only Child, the latest song from Tierra Whack. I'm also going to be getting into why exactly is Imagine Dragons the most hated rock band right now, and we're also going to have an exclusive little tidbit of our Let's Argue series, so that is going to be it for this episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Strap in, get ready, here we go. Ba-bam. Uh, and it is time for a review of the new Zarface and, and Ghostface Killa album, Zarface Meets Ghostface. This is a new collaborative album from the comic book villain-inspired and also MF Doom-inspired hip-hop trio, known as Zarface, featuring MC Esoteric, Inspected Deck, and 7L on production. All of these guys have been in the game a while and are essentially East Coast hardcore hip-hop vets. And now with this new record over here, they are bringing on the Ghostface Killa, which is actually a pretty exciting prospect. Not only because of the obvious Wu-Tang connection between Inspected Deck and Ghost, but Ghostface Killer has come out with his own material recently that has been heavily comic book inspired. He's also, you know, Mr. Tony Starks. Ghostface Killa has also worked with MF Doom in the past as well. The fit between Ghost and Zarface is actually so sensible and natural that the results might end up being painfully predictable. To the point where I'm I'm just not sure if this is exactly what Zarface needs right now, because while I do think the trio did start off pretty well earlier this decade with a couple of very good to great records. Ever since Every Hero Needs a Villain, I feel like the trio has slowly been painting themselves into a corner. The MF Doom crossover they delivered last year did kind of pick up the excitement a little bit. And unfortunately, that newfound electricity that I hoped would be here with the entrance of Ghostface, it's... Uh... It's, it's not here. There are actually multiple tracks on this thing that Ghostface doesn't even appear on. Even the longest track on this record, toward the end of the album, which has the most transitions of any track here, feasibly the most space of any song on here, why is Ghost not on this cut? I just feel like if Zarface had anything exciting to do on their own at this point, they would have done that instead of going so quickly into yet another collaborative record. And this is so scant as well, in comparison with the Doom album last year. I mean, in a lot of ways, this record does check the usual boxes that a Czarface album does. You do get another helping of 7L's quality and dramatic and funky and soulful instrumentals that sound like a mix of classic hardcore hip-hop production mixed with, like, the incidental music of a classic 70s superhero cartoon. Like the instrumental from the King Heard Voices, it sounds like a mix of boom bap with like uh, the Body Snatcher soundtrack. There are some elements of the instrumentals here that do feel a little old-school cinematic, kind of weird, kind of sci-fi, a little Twilight Zone. Occasionally there are some really cool beat switches, occasionally there are some crazy zany vocal samples and weird colorful sound effects. The beats on this thing are simultaneously grimy and quirky. They're the best thing on the record in my opinion, and yet they do so little to make up for all the lyrical shortcomings of Zarface meets Ghostface. There are so many completely average Ghostface verses on this thing. Not only does he drop multiple uninteresting verses on this record, but his flow on the song Mongolian Beef absolutely sucks. It's got no groove, he's barely on tempo, he's like Blueface in the beat. Or at least like, this is what I think people who hate Blueface thinks Blueface sounds like. For a handful of guys who are directly connected to what's seen as like a golden age of lyricism in rap music, the bars on this record are kind of unimpressive. It's mostly a case-by-case basis from track to track, there are cuts on here where Ghost and Esso and INS do come out with All Guns blazing. The intro track Face Off kicks things off pretty decently. The song Iron Claw, I think, front to back is pretty great. Like when Esso says, "'You put the S in wordplay, you get swordplay. So you know that stabbing tracks is my forte.' Or INS when he says, "'What you see is real. What you heard is false. All I have in this world is my word and my balls. Money calling, stomach talking, hungry often honey's hawkin', haters hatin', funny talkin'. But there are plenty of eyebrow-raising rhymes and similes on this thing that completely overshadow highlights like these. Electric toothbrush, the level of your Buzzbee, I do it on my own, you need a click like Buzzfeed? Or this one line about avoiding political spittin', and truthfully, the only Breitbart I know is Simpson. Putting my palm on my face. Putting my palm On my face. My alma mater is the school of hard knockers. Today's special grilled medulla oblongata. But I ain't picking up what they putting down. It's like I got a bad back, but they just a sad sack. Sad rap, helter-skelter. I seen people stabbed in the shelter acting bipolar like they grabbing seltzer. Still getting our burgundy and gray on. We colorful like that box of 64 crayons the hardest ghost face bar of all time coming for that loot off top no recoupin the way they avoid your boy call me gluten that line comes off of zarkade 87 one of a few tracks on this thing that sounds like a really bad mc from the 80s wrote it i feel like a lot of the time what this album is presenting us lyrically is like hip-hop's answer to dad jokes These are just like dad bars, but instead of trying to be funny, they're like trying to be slick or hard or impressive, but just like a dad joke. All it does is just elicit like this. There's also something about INS's delivery on this record that kind of bugs me. It sort of seems like he's he's rapping in this fashion where he puts on this voice that... uh, I'm rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rapping, rapping, I'm rapping. It's totally unnatural. If you've heard the lyrical and instrumental formula of one track on this thing, you've most likely heard the instrumental and lyrical formula of 75% of this record. These guys do come through with a pretty sharp concept cut on Morning Routine, which does have a good sense of humor and a really interesting progression, even if there are a few lines that do make me groan. The King Heard Voices is one of the few cuts on this thing with a proper hook, but the chorus is absolutely awful because Kendra Morris's voice is layered and harmonized with these chorus effects that makes her singing sound like she's an obnoxious alien. There's also an intro on this thing that I can't quite get my head around. We don't really go into the whole comic book thing, but instead it sounds like a really bad wrestling promo getting cut where the person, is he a hero? Is he a heel? There's a point where he sounds like he's almost an announcer, but also a wrestler. He slips in and out toward the end of a really bad Macho Man Randy Savage impression. It's really awkward and goes on way too long and does an awful job of setting the tone. Then the album ends off with a track that's labeled as if it's like a leftover cut or something, but it sounds... Really no less significant than any other song on here, which I think says a lot about the quality of the other tracks on this record. There are really only a couple of songs on this thing that I enjoyed from front to back. There are a lot of listenable moments on this record, I think, but in order to get there, you have to kind of ignore what's going on lyrically most of the time. And I'm not really sure what to say about this record at this point, other than that, I'm just disappointed i feel like everyone on this record outside of 7l is just severely punching under their weight nothing ghostface did on this thing blew me away the drop in quality ins presents from the last album to this album is slightly shocking in just how many corny bars he's putting out there per verse esso is easily the most impressive and consistent rapper on this entire record but uh, again it's really not enough to lift up the entire LP. I'm feeling a light to decent five on this thing. Transition into, into the, into the, the next, next, next review. review. Ha ha ha. And it's time for a review of the new Jessica Pratt album, Quiet Signs. California-based singer and songwriter Jessica Pratt, the last time I talked about her music at length, I think was back in 2012 when she dropped a debut record, that showed a lot of promise. This album was a pretty simple but effective recording of Jessica's very calming and serene fingerpick guitar, uh, along with her very tiny, nasally, incredibly unique voice, which sounded almost alien or enchanted. There wasn't a whole lot of layers or density to this record, but it made up for that with some very solid songwriting, again along with a voice and a style that just made her someone to watch closely into the future. Her follow-up record in 2015 featured a better recording, more instrumentation, less blemishes. It was definitely more refined, it was more pleasant, but it was somehow just missing something. I guess occasionally the extra layers of instrumentation and vocals did come together somewhat awkwardly, especially on the song Game that I play. Generally, it's a pretty pleasant album. It checked a lot of the same boxes the debut did, but somehow it just felt less bewitching, less magical, and instead sometimes tedious sometimes winding. Even with all of the extra bits of instrumentation, it was not as smoothly executed. Still, from that sophomore record, Jessica did give us quite a bit to look forward to, and Quiet Signs is a pretty nice little album. A beautiful little record, and I do mean little, as this album is essentially just nine tracks and 27 minutes. There's even a time-killing intro on this record that is essentially an awkward piano version of the same melody and chord progression played throughout the very next track. Not a whole lot of time to work with on this one, let's start dishing out the fire as soon as possible. And honestly, by the time we're halfway through the first track that very same melody and chord progression, I'm kind of sick of it at that point because it's grown quite tedious. But still, it does not take very long on this record for Jessica's sound and song quality to pick right up. I'm not sure what it is, but Jessica's incredibly unique voice just soaked in the amount of reverb that it is on this album, combined with the slightly vintage aesthetic of the recording, it just creates this beautiful, buttery, blissful, heavenly vibe. Between the gentle guitar strumming and the piano and the flute on this thing, ugh, it's it's just, it creates this serenity that's likely to go unmatched this year. The vocals aren't nearly as intelligible as they were on the last album, but that's not as big a deal for me because I feel like I almost listen to this record as if it's an ambient release, or just like a mood setter, and the very repetitive guitar phrasing throughout this record does make listening to it in that way kind of easy. And I do think this is a record that can be listened to both passively and actively, that smudgy, nostalgic, very throwback 70s folk feel that the recording gives off just has this very sunny bliss to it that makes it easy to just get lost in the atmosphere. But then again, there are moments where You have lead melodies on the track like "Polly Blue that are just too gorgeous not to eat up and pay direct attention to. I also love the wonderfully archaic chords and melodies on the track Crossing. Sounds almost medieval to a degree. The record coasts out with a very beautifully written closer too, but as far as songwriting highlights on this album go, that's pretty much it. I feel like a lot of the time I'm really just lost again in the aesthetic of this record and not really much else. And that's not to say that there aren't quality ideas on this album. There definitely are. But the main problem is that they're just so scant. There's not a whole lot to this album. I mean, I could appreciate a shorter record uh, or even an EP of this length too. But I feel like if you are going to put out this much material and that's it... Like, it's all gotta be fantastic from beginning to end. You can't have a single snoozer or a lull or a somewhat interesting moment in an album of this length. It's gotta be nothing but your best stuff because there's no room for anything else. As much as I do like a lot of the material and the overall sound of this release, I'm really just left wanting more. Because when the tunes on here are fantastic, they are fantastic. And when... The subtly psychedelic, smeary production of this album enhances the quality of that songwriting. It enhances it a lot. I do love Pratt's voice. I do love her slightly minimalist approach to building her songs out, and I do like the uh, very easygoing and kind of trippy sound she's drawn up here. But unfortunately, what she served up with this record is just far too meager to get as excited about it as I would like to be. I'm feeling a decent to a strong six on this thing. Transition Transition into into the next review. review. And it's time for a review of the old Drake mixtape, So Far Gone. This is the Breakthrough 2009 mixtape from Toronto rap Titan Drizzy Drake who has recently reissued this project over here for its 10 year anniversary. So Far Gone is actually a pretty important informative moment for one of the biggest voices in hip hop right now. And like it or not, Drake has actually changed the face of hip hop pretty significantly. It's also crazy to think just how predictive a lot of the ideas on this tape were. I mean, on the song Bria's Interlude featuring Omarion, the track essentially sounds like a weekend song before there even was such a thing as a weekend song, two years before of Balloons even came out. There's also the matter of how unorthodox So Far Gone was for its time, how mellow and how sensitive and even occasionally antisocial the tone of this album was. Drake doesn't like the club, Drake doesn't like campus life. It was definitely a new angle for the mainstream. There was also this lyrical fixation on things like romance as well as gossip and of course it was all delivered in this slightly sad puppy demeanor. For a 2009 hip-hop album, So Far Gone is so profoundly unmanly, and Drake was incredibly conscious of this at the time. Addressing this very issue on tracks like Best I Ever Had with lines about how uh, girls will buy his CD when he drops his debut record for the picture and guys will buy it and claim it's for their little sister. And even though right now Drake is incredibly popular, incredibly successful, He has subverted a lot of the macho stereotypes of the bling era that this tape came out during the tail end of. At the time when this project dropped, Drake's sensitivity was something that he was brutally ridiculed for. And at the time, this ridicule from and rejection by the hip-hop community that Drake just so desperately wanted to be a part of it would paint a lot of the material that he would drop down the road with drake showing quite a bit of scorn toward those who weren't so accepting of his new sound and style and looking back on what was turning heads in 2009 in hip-hop there wasn't really anything out there that was quite like so far gone. Raekwon just came out with his Cuban Link sequel, Doom's Born Like This dropped, also Kid Cudi's Man on the Moon 2, Most Def dropped one of his weirdest projects, Fashon's excellent Boy Meets World came out, Lil B was trying to put Cloud Rap on the map with Six Kiss, and uh, Asher Roth was the new great white hip-hop hope for frat boys who love to hate college. Of course some of Drake's biggest influences are still kicking around the time of this tape dropping. Lil Wayne, for one, who was still at a huge peak of relevancy when he decided to endorse Drake, bring him on to Young Money, make multiple appearances on this project. It cannot be emphasized enough just how pivotal Wayne was to Drake's success. You also have Kanye West who had just dropped 808s and Heartbreak just a year earlier, a record that I'm not sure Drake would even exist without, An instrumental off that album even turns up on this tape, which Drake had to get permission for the inclusion of for this new re-release which created this big Kanye Twitter meltdown that happened a little while ago. I'm not going to get into it again. Basically, the point I'm trying to make is that the mellow, chilly fusions of hip-hop and R&B presented on So Far Gone, it set the stage for a lot of stuff, and even though it is a very deeply flawed and rough mixtape, the impact of this thing is to the tenth power of any critically acclaimed album that dropped the same year. And because of that, it's kind of interesting to go back ten years and hear how much Drake has progressed, or maybe not progressed since then. What I Ideas was he still perfecting and what kind of risks was he still willing to take because he hadn't fully developed himself yet? What I can say for sure is that the biggest hits off of this tape still sound fantastic today. Best I ever had, and successful. Tracks that I think address two pretty key Drake modes. You have a pandering pop rap cut about someone you're so in love with you're basically sucking their toes and the tone lyrically of the track is so general that Basically, anyone can project themselves onto it. And you also have a kind of moody and forlorn rap cut that is about striving for more and aspiring. In such a way where you're inviting the audience to desire more along with you. And these are themes that some of Drake's biggest hits today still boil down to. Whether you're talking about tracks like nice for what, or even started from the bottom. And in Drake's defense, he's been right to focus on these ideas and themes more as he has gone deeper into his discography. But not every song off of this mixtape is like this. There are some real ear sores in the tracklist on this thing that saw Drake testing a lot of concepts that didn't really pan out. Like all of the weird indie crossovers, it's kind of weird to think of a time in mainstream music where rappers might be trying to seek validation by a appealing to one of the deadest wings of popular music right now. We have the song Let's Call It Off, which sees Drake essentially just vocally riffing on an instrumentally altered version of Peter, Bjorn, and John's Let's Call It Off. It's kind of like a cover, but it's also kind of not. We also have Drake doing his own thing over an altered version of Santy Gold's Unstoppable, which features one of the worst verses Lil Wayne has ever recorded. It's just completely nonsensical auto auto-tune garbage. Drake's revision of Licky Lee's little bit hasn't aged that badly, but honestly, I'd, I'd much rather listen to the original. In the spirit of one of his biggest influences, Little Wayne, Drake essentially tries to build his own profile by just doing his own thing vocally over another artist's work which conceptually is not a bad thing it's just that Drake's attempts at this mostly come up empty-handed his best attempt at styling on another artist's work actually comes through on the track say what's real which sees Drake rapping on like a looped version of Kanye's say you will 808s and heartbreak instrumental which I actually think is a kind of defining piece of inspiration for Drake at this point in his career because this is a pretty compelling song that sees Drake locked in the midst of an emotional internal monologue or like an impassioned confession and Drake has made sure on pretty much every project since this one to put at least one song in this tone on his new records and I would say he repeats that same formula on tracks like The Calm and Ignat Shit. These are also cuts where Drake delivers some of the smartest and most hilarious wordplay on the entire record and he really shows just how much Little Wayne's lyrical ability greatly influences his pen game. As much as I like these songs, though, there are a lot of other tracks on this record that, to me, just kind of read as mixed results. The song Houston, Atlanta, Vegas just still sounds like a hot mess. The instrumental is a totally blobby junk pile that does not sound appealing at all. Totally stiff groove. And Drake's vocal lines on top of this instrumental do very little to bring this track any Sanity or Soul. The song November 18th is a somewhat weird and kind of awkward attempt at embracing an old-school Houston sound, with Drake dropping numerous bars in this deeply pitched voice where he puts on a southern accent. The song Uptown is just merely okay. I think it could have been better had it not featured yet another predictable little Wayne verse on it on top of it. Bun B delivers this amazingly phoned-in verse. You can kind of tell he didn't exactly think this project was going to jumpstart one of the biggest careers rap but honestly at the time who could see that coming generally the mixed job on a lot of these tracks and instrumentals is kind of rough which doesn't exactly reflect all that positively on Noah 40 but you know at the time Drake was still leveling up a lot too as messy as some parts of this tape are I can't deny that they were doing a lot with a little and that their ideas made up for a lot of the shortcomings on the execution side of things because occasionally on this thing Drake's delivery does feel pretty unpolished there are moments on the opening track where he doesn't even sound like himself, or what we know Drake to sound like, mostly because he hadn't quite fully developed that trademark nasally tone that we instantly recognize him for. Drake singing at this point in his career, while he was not shy about doing it on record, he wasn't exactly at his best vocally, which does not really bode well for a lot of the buttery R&B cuts on this thing. It wouldn't really be until Take Care that I think Drake would come into his own vocally, and just start sounding less robotic and more expressive. I know it's easy to say this in hindsight, but there are actually some pretty groundbreaking ideas on this record. But the quality of this tape overall, it's just super inconsistent. For the entirety of his career, Drake has always been about the hits. Typically, the hits that come off his records are pretty great. As long as he keeps that up, there's always going to be demand for Drake. All in all though, I'm still pretty indifferent toward this tape. I'm not all that crazy about it. I do love a handful of tracks off of it. It is cool to go back and listen to what ideas Drake stuck to and which ones didn't really pan out into anything. Going back to a project like this does feel like you're staring into the petri dish of history and observing the earliest stages of something very significant. I can't really say I get much more out of it than that, though. I'm feeling a decent to strong five on this thing. thing, thing, thing. Hey, buddy, did you hear the news? It's track review. This is not a drill. This is a DEFCON five. Freddie Gibbs and Madlib are back with a brand new cut. Both of these two have been teasing a new collaboration. More work on the way. Uh, Very recently, we anticipated that it was going to happen because of the incredible success of their amazing pinata record that dropped all the way back in 2014 now. It's crazy to think that that album came out like five years ago at this point because it's so great that it feels like it it was just yesterday that that album came out. And uh, yeah, so again, new project in 2019, and we are probably seeing here uh, what I imagine is the first yummy, yummy taste of this record. Uh, let's give it a shot before I get too deep into that. I do want to say that the uh, Chesta Black Metal shirts they are back and available via the support page on the website, link down below the NeedleDrop.com/support. Flat tummy tea is the name of this new single. Uh, Here we go. Freddie Gibbs, Mad Lib, Flat Tummy T, Ba-Bam. All right. Um... Freddie Gibson, and Mad Lib, Flat Tummy Tea. I can't really think of a single thing about that track that I wasn't at least mildly impressed by. I mean, it had a pretty decent beat switch in the middle of it that didn't have the uh, most sensible transition. It was a pretty hard transition, but maybe that's the biggest critique that I have of the whole thing. I mean, the first leg of the track is incredible. The momentum and the groove and the fiery aggressive buzzing quality of the instrumental Madlib drew together here is fantastic it's just got so much again it's just got such a nasty burning uh just sort of aggressive quality to it uh that simultaneously it's 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 old school it feels vintage it feels dirty it feels grimy but yet it also feels really contemporary and um very abrasive freddie gibbs's flows all over this leg of the track are fantastic he's always changing it up he's occasionally throwing in these super fast what sounds like just after a few listens i could be wrong but what sounds like very speedy triplets the i will say his lyrics do get a little lost in the recording uh, because it does feel a little low-fi, but I feel like it just adds to the overall grimy aesthetic of the track in general. Um, love some of the wordplay and love some of the imagery that he's coming through with. Of course, it's 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 very lewd, it's very nasty, it's very in-your-face. That's Freddie Gibbs's style. He's really unapologetic. He's not uh, one of these rappers who's necessarily trying to put out there a super positive or a super uplifting message or anything like that. He's more of a um, a very grim details. Kind of guy, throwing lines out there about being up in these bitch stomachs like flat tummy tea. Um, You know, if you have a dark sense of humor, you'll find it funny. Uh, In the second leg, when the beat switches into something much more easygoing, much more mellow, uh, Freddie gets deeper into uh, issues of racial injustice and drug dealing and um, being caught up in the prison system. Um, as well as throwing out some coded lingo with the white horse stuff, but then also spitting in the face of white Jesus with his lyrics as well. Um, again, thoroughly impressed with what he and Madlib have drawn up on this track. It's really bold. It's really unforgiving. And I think this song would have sounded really at home on pinata. It would have sounded just as, uh, nasty and as relentless as a lot of other tracks on that record. And, uh, I don't know, gotta say, this has got me really excited for whatever they're coming up with next. It sounds like they are uh, working together just as well as they were on the last record. They sound like a well-oiled machine. They complement each other uh, so incredibly well, and I don't know, just looking to hear hear more from what they are doing. It is time for a track review, talking about the brand new single that Tierra Whack, just dropped. If you guys don't remember, Whack World is easily one of the most off-the-wall creative, eccentric, and colorful uh, records of last year. Yeah, it's a little off the beaten path. It's a little strange. It's kind of short with the adherence to uh, sort of this one-minute-per-song formula that Tierra implemented across the entirety of the LP, but I think she showed uh, a lot of personality and a lot of potential on that record that not a lot of uh, other artists, or at least the kind of potential that not a lot of artists in, a, in 2018 did. I uh, do want to give a shout out to the tour that I'm doing this May. Really quickly, uh link down there in the description box where you guys can grab tickets if you are interested. It's a West Coast tour. We're going from Vancouver all the way down to California. Of course, Portland and Seattle are in there too. Hope to see you guys out there. And uh, without any further ado, let's get right into the review. The name of this new track is titled "Only Child." It's actually four minutes long, uh, but who (laughs) knows? Maybe there's multiple transitions or something in the track. I'm not sure. Uh, Basically, uh, you know, as as much as I do like Wack World, I have been looking forward to hearing Tierra Wack, you know, expound on her sound and explore uh, song lengths uh, a bit more. I guess. Uh, with some newer stuff because I do think there are a lot of people watching her who maybe did enjoy uh, what she did on Wack World quite a bit but maybe saw the album as a little gimmicky. I think the true tell is going to be whether or not she can wow people with a single of this length so uh, let's see what she does. Only Child. (laughs) Ba-bam. I don't know, man. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. Wow. That was really fun. I love this uh, sort of crossroads of emotions and feelings that Tierra music sits at, that that I had a bit of a sense of on Whack World, but given how short a lot of the songs on that record were, it was hard to get like a full view of it. But I love that her music inhabits this really weird lane where it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's playful, it's silly, it's goofy, but there's also something that's profoundly sad about it, like a lot of the silliness and the playful attitude is almost like a veil just to cover up how unhappy she is, sort of beyond a lot of these feelings on the surface, like she's someone who acts out in kind of a goofball manner to uh, mask darker feelings that are sort of hanging beneath that. I'll also say, you know, this track just makes me reflect on how much of a post-odd future world we live in because I feel like with without sort of odd future coming through and, and changing things aesthetically and, and attitude-wise in the way that they did with this younger generation of hip-hop fans... Um, you know, I, I don't think you would have songs. I don't think you would have records like this. I mean, look, I was harshly critical of, of, of a lot of the material that Odd Future put out back in their heyday. But, but really, at the end of the day, a lot of my issues with with Odd Future comes down to a lot of what they were doing musically. However, you know, the ethos of it, the artistic aesthetic of it, um, the floodgates that they opened as far as like, An attitude of creativity and art I think has been way more significant than the actual music that they made because I feel like the ethos and the philosophy of that rings through in artists like this, in records and songs like this. Tierra Whack I think has really blessed us in a couple of ways with with this track because – I mean, it's not only got—it's got like a couple hooks on it because I feel like the "you, you must be an only child" bit is like a hook in and of itself. The "darling, darling" bit that follows after that is like another layer of a hook. That's another incredibly catchy moment. And throughout both of these refrains, um, you know, we have these incredibly smart and funny and playful and quotable lines like uh, "You turn my heart so cold; I should work at Friendlies. Um, I do think the track drew on a little too long. Like, I think uh, one repeat of those refrains probably could have been cut out and the rap verse, could have been brought in earlier, which was really fun. Uh, But still, like, really quality, full-length track. Uh, I think she has this incredibly unique voice that again, it does sound a little goofy and it does sound a little silly, but it does uh, translate some very sad and compelling emotions in a way. I feel like her singing voice has a unique timbre to it that is definitely ear grabbing and, and instantly draws your attention to whatever she's singing or whatever she's saying. I feel like her rap delivery has the same quality as well, though it's different enough that it doesn't feel like you're just kind of experiencing the same thing when she's going through a sung passage versus a rap passage. Uh, it's almost like you're listening to two different personalities or something on the same track. And uh, vocally, I'm not, I'm not going to say she's like the greatest singer I've ever heard or the greatest rapper I've ever heard. But her, again, her voice has unique quality to it that just draws your attention instantly to the point where she can get away with an instrumental like this that isn't super busy or isn't super thick. In fact, it kind of repeats quite a bit. And the Uh, sad synth chords that play throughout the track aren't exactly like super bold or the loudest or the most in-your-face thing you're going to hear. This is definitely not the kind of instrumental that carries the song, you know? Um, It's got kind of a very sad, low-key quality to it uh, in such a way where it reminds me of almost like, this is almost like listening to the hip-hop equivalent of like an old-school lo-fi indie track like even maybe even like a moldy peaches type thing I don't know yeah there's a lot to love about this song and I'm really happy that I reacted to it here uh, with you guys on on camera because uh, it, it is a really great track and it does make me look forward a lot to what Tierra Whack is is doing in the future is Imagine Dragons, the worst rock band right now, the most hated rock band right now. A couple of things that sort of sprung my thoughts on this were essentially a lot of the negative comments that I have seen directed toward Imagine Dragons in in my videos, especially on ones uh, where I am reviewing their music negatively. And also that when I review their music negatively, I get very little in terms of like, pushback or anything like that. Um, Also, I recently caught this article and quote from Corey Taylor of Slipknot fame uh, talking about how Imagine Dragons have essentially replaced Nickelback as the most hated band. Uh, He said in an interview slash discussion uh, that they are passing the baton to Imagine Dragons as far as the most hated band around, and I love it. Uh, Imagine Dragons are awful so that's cool, Taylor continued. They're also some uh, they're also from Vegas, so I'm going to go home to protest, can't show my face in this town now. Yeah, people are slowly coming back to appreciate Nickelback and then they're just turning their irksome ire towards Imagine Dragons. Now, I don't know if I can say that objectively Imagine Dragons are the worst band out there or the worst rock band currently. I mean, certainly I think the band's latest record is easily their worst record so far, like worst songs, worst hooks, worst production, so overblown and clipping a real victim of the loudness war, uh, that record is unfortunately, but I can think of some records that do fall partially in the rock genre that this decade so far, I think have been much worse, uh, Kid Cudi's Speeding Bullet to Heaven. Also, I'll say Corey Feldman's Angelic to the Core. Um, There may be some other really awful, obscure Bandcamp-based releases that I could certainly pull from if I scoured the internet. But, you know, really with Imagine Dragons, I think it's a matter of ratio. It's not just that they're making awful rock music and awful pop music, but it's also how terrible their music is in relation to just how much attention the band is getting on the mainstream stage and and also how popular they are. I mean, you know, the thing is, I don't really think you can be the world's most hated band without simultaneously amassing a pretty large audience that loves you. And in Imagine Dragons' defense, I mean, a lot of their early records and early singles did come through with a relatively distinct sound that you could recognize almost immediately – Uh, However, I, I feel like that sound isn't all that particularly great. In a lot of ways, I think it kind of sells a lot of the best elements of rock and pop music down the river. I'm not trying to flame Imagine Dragons too hard on this video because certainly we could say the band is more innovative and cutting edge than like Greta Van Fleet. But again, how unbearable and formulaic the band's music is combined with their relative popularity and The number of mediocre to bad records the group has put out across their discography, while I don't think that I could legitimately argue that Imagine Dragons is the worst band out there based on all that stuff, I do think those three factors have contributed to them being the most hated band. Thinking back to groups like Nickelback, for example, I can remember a time when they were getting attacked from pretty much every wing of the rock genre, and even outside of the rock genre. And there's not really any group out there right now other than Imagine Dragons that I think is is getting that same kind of treatment. Trying to cite other groups out there in rock and even beyond that I think get a lot of hate. Uh, groups like Attila, Five Finger Death Punch, some of the Crab core bands out there. Even though many people may find them corny, at least these days, not a lot of individuals go out of their way to attack or make fun of these groups. Even as disliked and as corny as a group like Limp Biscuit is, I think there are at least a handful of tracks that from that group people look back upon Fondly considering all of this. I don't really think I can come to any other conclusion that imagine dragons is the most hated band out there right now And what's funny is before coming on to do this video I was actually planning on playing a bit of devil's advocate here but uh, yeah, I, I think Imagine Dragons is the most hated band right now. And if I haven't already made my opinion on this perfectly clear with my previous videos, I, I think a great deal of that has to do with how predictable and formulaic their sound is, how often they go back to a lot of these same really stale electronic sounds to pump up their pop rock style. And just the quality of the singing and the songwriting and the recording of their last record, I think, was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because up until this point, as formulaic as the group has been, I could at least say, well, you know that's their sound, I guess. And maybe it's not entirely for me. And they're just kind of getting the um, same takedowns that a lot of pop rock groups do. But I don't know, man, I think there's something particularly awful about where the group has been headed lately. I think maybe you could argue that the Chainsmokers are are maybe a bit more hated overall, but they're obviously not a rock group. And uh, if, if we're kind of limiting it strictly to rock music, yeah, Imagine Dragons is is that group that is supremely disliked. So I think I'm going to leave it at that. Over here next to my head is another video that you can check out. Hit that up or the link to subscribe to the channel. I will see you guys in the next one. Anthony Fantano, Imagine Dragons, most hated band uh, forever. Kitsy Ghost is the weakest 10 you've ever given. I will agree that out of all my 10s, Kitsy Ghost is probably the least favorite of the 10s, but I still think it's a flawless record. Like, every track on that LP is fantastic. Flow is great, energy is amazing, production and the songwriting is cutting edge and forward thinking. Sure, I do think overall the project is pretty scant and maybe... Maybe it's more of like a 10 out of 10 EP than it is like a true album, given its brevity, given its uh, length. But still, I do think its length is is a part of its creative profile. And honestly, I think Cuddy and Kanye went above and beyond in a lot of ways on this record, and I can't really think of a horrible thing that I could say about the album. And on top of all of it, I, I love the shit out of it, so what do you want me to do? And thank all of you for listening to another edition of the Needle Drop Podcast. Remember, wherever you are listening to this show, subscribe, rate, leave a nice comment or review it helps the show out. Spread the word, spread the word, spread the word. Shout out to Jonah for assembling this episode like he does every episode so well of the Needle Drop Podcast. And if you guys want to hit us up on social media, you can do it via Twitter, uh, I'm there at The Needle Drop. Also, Fantano on Instagram, The Needle Drop on YouTube, fantano on YouTube, and uh, head over there also to theneedledrop.com to not miss a single piece of content that we put out every week. All right, I will see you guys in the next one. You're the best, you're the best, you're the best. Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop Podcast, forever. <laughs>